Eagle Eye in the Sky is fueled by Gatorade, the official sports drink of the Philadelphia Eagles. Everything that move. I don't care who it is. Let's go. Give me everything you got. Play fast, play hard. Let's beat these boys tonight in their house. It's party time. It's party time. Let's go. You are listening to the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Now here's your host, Fran Duffy. That's right. Another week in the 2018 NFL season is officially over as the Eagle on the Sky podcast fueled by Gatorade continues. I'm Fran Duffy. And as always, I think we've got a great show for you here on episode number 165. At the top of this week's show, we've got Chalk Talk where I chat with my buddy Josh Norris from Roto World and NBC Sports. This was a conversation that, that took place a couple of weeks ago back at the East-West Shrine game, and Josh and I talked about his favorite position to evaluate on the football field. That's the defensive line. Some of the key factors in his final evaluation when studying players coming out of college and entering the NFL draft. If you're a hardcore listener to this show, you know how much I enjoy conversations just like this one. After that, I'll give my thoughts on what we saw on Super Bowl Sunday between the Rams and Patriots. So let's get to it. Here's Josh Norris and I from Tropicana Field in Chalk Talk. Let's get down to business. It's time for Chalk Talk. For the very first time here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, I'm very, very happy to be joined by Josh Norris from Roto World NBC Sports. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter, as you know that I do, at Josh, Josh Norris. Norris. Yes, Not Josh right. J. Norris. No, that's Instagram, yeah. which, which is just food pictures and my dog. See, I do basically the same thing. It's mainly food pictures. But I don't post anything. I just look at other p- pictures of other people's I've noticed. food and dogs. I've but, noticed. Um <laughs> We're here at Tropicana Stadium at the East-West Shrine Games. This was a couple weeks ago. Uh, by the way, I should have mentioned that we're going to roll this now a couple weeks after we actually record this interview. But uh, we're here at the Shrine Game, and we're going to be taking an action here for the West team this afternoon, this Tuesday afternoon. But, uh, Josh, the reason why I wanted to sit down with you today is just kind of go through, number one, this process, mm-hmm. and then number two, your process, and just kind of go through – uh, you know, just the, just the specifics of what this grind is like uh, covering the draft and, and just kind of predict the unpredictable in terms of uh, these draft prospects and their future success or lack thereof in the NFL. Yeah, so, I mean, I've been doing this for seven years, right? Yeah. Which is not a very long time. Yeah, well, yeah. However, when you think you've done it for, hmm, like four years, you think you've been in the business. Right. Sure. So, I guess over the last seven years, you know, things change. You realize what traits and qualities and skills you look for that you think and have seen be successful from college to the NFL, right? Because we look at it and we say that two, three, four years in the league is when you can finally start judging players, right? And we've even seen, you know, players move on after four years and their fifth contract have a good season. Look at Marcus Hunt this season. That's a good call. Right? Yep. Um, And there's plenty and plenty of other examples we can go to. Um, so to me, yeah, it's, it's just been interesting to incorporate new things in my process to not really realize I need to dig my heels in and kind of be open to a bunch of alternative and alternatives and outcomes of, of what these players can be. Yeah. I think that's something that, you know, the more I'm around the game, the more I watch the game and you see that ultimately in this league, I think that there are, obviously there are several superstars, you know, at each position, there are those elite players. And there are some really guys that are that tier below, guys that would be successful regardless of scheme. That's kind of the way I look at it. And then after that, 
it's a lot of guys that are re reliant on so many other factors, scheme, other personnel surrounding them, uh, and you know other factors that go into that. To me, it's 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 fascinating, and that's why it, there is no black and white when you come and you watch these guys and you say like, okay, this guy's going to make it or he's not. It's more, all right, what can this guy do well? What you know, what does he need to improve on? What can he improve on, if anything, right. uh, moving on to the next level? I think that's certainly one of the things that I've learned over the last couple of years for sure. And you also identify traits that aren't common. Yeah. Yep. Right? Because there are skills and talents that you see, and we talk about this during the draft process. I don't really want to name any names of, of players in previous years, okay. but a Jordan Jenkins. Please do. Yeah, I was going to say, please do. That's, I enjoy this. Yeah. But, you know, like, I, I can even – and that's only, what, two years ago or something like that, yeah. where people get excited about him. And, you know, you see him maybe projecting the first round, and then he goes the round two or round three. And you look at a Jordan Jenkins, and you say, hey, there's a Jordan Jenkins or three in every single draft class. Yeah. Right? Yep. And, and so those types of players – you know, while they can be successful, while they have a role in an NFL team, maybe you don't um, connect yourself with them as much as you would other players that have kind of a unique, overwhelming trait that isn't as common. Yeah, and I think that's one of the things, at least for me, you know, when we get ready to go to games like this, to the East-West Shrine game, it's less so for the Senior Bowl because obviously those guys, there's a lot of talent that goes down to Mobile every year. But when you go to the Shrine game, you know, if, for people that go to the NFLPA game and the Tropic Bowl and the other smaller all-star games, we know what a typical Shrine game linebacker, a typical Shrine game quarterback all look <laughs> there's like. There's a few right? of them here this year. There are, there are a few of them here this year. But – you then you see a guy where they have they may have some traits where you say like you know what this guy's got something that the rest of this group just doesn't have and those are the guys you start to gravitate towards. And can I make a point here because I am not a profile writer, okay? I am not a scouting report writer. Yep. And there's a major difference in that because what Fran just mentioned is people and especially scouts that work for teams will have to write a report on the players in their area or at their position yep. at this game, and each one matters, okay? When we're talking about the Shrine game since we're here, to me, the benefit of the Shrine game is identifying the 15, 20, 25, and maybe a few more than that, players that come from this that I am comfortable with will succeed in the NFL. Hmm. You know, in previous years, that's your Javon Hargraves. Yep. That's your Teron Armsteads. Um that's your Darian Millers. Darian Millers. Or the tackle from Kentucky. <laughs> yeah, I do. <laughs> it's like not your Darian Millers. Um, John Miller, even though he hasn't yeah, done that much in the call. NFL, but, yeah, but, sure. but he was one for sure. Um, so on and so forth. I mean, your Dietrich Sinats, your, yeah. your, I mean, hopefully Contavious Street can turn to something after his injury. Yep. I mean, and, and that's, like you mentioned, different than the Senior Bowl in that the Senior Bowl, 80% of those players will be drafted, maybe 90%. And so you really need a firm, complete handle on all of those players, wherein, to me, half of these guys, and this is going to sound harsh, might not make it in the league in after their second year. Yeah, I mean, so, some of these because guys the next, are here. Because yeah. the next Shrine players will replace them. Sure. Right. Some of these guys will struggle making it this year, and making right. it to a 53, making it to a practice squad even. Uh, that's just kind of how it goes. Um, all right, so let me ask you this question. What is your favorite position when it's time now, when you're making that transition now from the NFL season to draft season for you, what is your position that you kind of gravitate towards most, that you have the most juice in terms of starting your evaluations on? Yeah, and so for me, my timeline has kind of changed over the last couple of years, whereas I was 
for years and years focused just on college football and the draft. Now I've elected to focus more in the NFL and switch over to draft and catch up and really cram all these players in in just a few weeks. And when I do that, it kind of points out and highlights which position I like to look at most, and it's the interior defensive linemen and the edge players. Yeah. Um, those That's the position I go to first, uh, and I look at the Shrine rosters and I look at the Senior Bowl uh, rosters first. And, I mean, there's probably, you know, ten different reasons I, I can reel off but to me, that's kind of what I get most amped and excited about. And if I'm going to these all-star games, I also think that that's the position, not that can earn the most money, but that can mm. really stand out because, as we know, one-on-ones is a major part of these practices. Yeah. It was, that, was that always the case for you, like when you worked as a scouting assistant with the Rams? and you know, the, I didn't know what I was doing when I was a scouting assistant. Yeah, but was Rams. that always like how your, where your <laughs> mind was? Was it always going towards that, that defensive line group? Um, I would say any position other than defensive back, mm. would, would, if I'm being honest. Okay. Um, yeah, look, and, and as I've improved my process, or hopefully have improved my process, um, a big part of that has been adding you know the athletic skills and qualities to these prospects and their profiles and more than any other position I think that's important for edge and defensive linemen because when you really think about it there aren't that many true one-on-one matchups on an NFL field or in a football field except for D-line edge with offensive line and corners and wide receivers right right and so, just in the most simplistic way, wouldn't it be an advantage for a player to be more athletic than his opposition? Sure, especially considering the fact that a lot of people will say the biggest athletic mismatch on a football field is a defensive lineman against an offensive lineman. Like yeah. that, if you ask, you know, a lot of coaches will say that that is often the biggest athletic mismatch. So finding those guys that are athletic on either side, you know, the, either the offensive athletes that can try and keep up with the defensive ones or the defensive ones that are bigger mismatches, that's really the goal for NFL teams when, he, when it really comes down to it. And you can kind of see it when you just watch them ahead of the week. Um, then when later on the process, combine, pro days, what have you, when you get a full athletic profile, it stands out then as well. For me, what gets me most amped and most juiced is when – an interior defensive lineman. Let's throw out Grady Jarrett for an example. Okay. Yep. You know, you have a interior defensive lineman who might be smaller, who might not, you know, be your nose tackle build, which thank goodness. Uh, but he shows bend and explosion out of that flexibility, mm. um, because that is so difficult for a center or a guard or what have you to match up with. And I only need Fran, and you might not back me up here about 10 to 20 plays to notice that out of an interior defensive lineman because we see a lot of them who are stiff in the hips stiff in the ankles just stand up want to hold their ground and anchor and not be able to reset their momentum and when you have that bend and get your hips around the opposition man those are so hard to stay in front of and those are the difference makers in the Mm. nfl so let me ask you a question so you watch a guy, you know, in December and January, and, and you get a really good feel, like you know what, this guy moves really, really well, very easy athlete, and then he goes to his combine or goes to the combine and then goes to his pro day, and the numbers don't match. <laughs> what what is the first thing that kind of pops into your mind? They're just out of my life. Mm-hmm. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, well, I'll, so even with the combine, I need to wait for the pro days, yeah, because I truly think that there is a 
chance that they just had a bad day. Right. Yep. We all have bad days, friend. Today might be a bad day for me. You know, I might not be on my game today. I might have woken up, felt sore, felt sad, felt tired, and just not have put full effort into the day. And that's why, you know, pro day testing should matter. Yep. Um, now, when you get to the end of the process and the pro day testing doesn't match up to the athletic um, thresholds or expectations that you set out for the player, that doesn't mean that they can't be successful. Yeah. Um, I think, wasn't like Dietrich Sinat one of those? He might have been. Yeah. I think he was I'd like a 30th percentile athlete. Yep. Um, to me, that doesn't write them off necessarily because if we are looking at athleticism, again, in its simplest form, staying away from non-NFL caliber athletes is about the easiest way to include athletic analytics in your process, mm. right? Like anyone that's, again, an average athlete does not equal a bad athlete. Sure, And of I course. think often we look at it like the average athlete, oh, he can't really stick up. To yeah, his, 50th percentile, oh, that's a failing grade on my math test all. in eighth grade. That right? means exactly. that he's on the same playing field as everyone else. Sure. Um, I just think when we get to the 80, 85, 90 plus, that's when we really need to be saying, okay, time to give this guy a second look. Is there anything there that we can start with? And if there's something there we can start with, hopefully, hopefully NFL coaching can even take even more out of him. Are there getting away from the athleticism thresholds and just the, the physical traits you're looking for from that standpoint? What are some other things that you're looking to see on film that, yeah. that really matter to you at those two positions? Yeah. Um, I want someone to win outside of just running around heavy-footed offensive tackles. We see a lot of college sacks yes. and college productions, college production um, as as a result of bad offensive line play. Yeah, there's bad offensive line play in the NFL as well. But imagine uh, multiplying that by a hundred across all colleges yep. in FBS, right? Um, a lot of sacks, yes, are just running around tackles that can't move and can't get to their drop. And they're almost clean, you know, with these defensive ends and these edge rushers. Um, now, I, I also want someone that has a pass rush plan that also... Our s- listeners will know that term because I've dropped that probably once a week uh, <laughs> during the season and in the off season. So I don't need to explain what no, that is. No, definitely not. Um, I also want someone that obtains backfield vision yeah i love that trait yep um because if you are just so focused on the person in front of you you lose sight of where the ball is going yep um that's especially critical to me for defensive linemen Mm. um okay taven bryan is an example yep from florida last year taven bryan oh my gosh was he explosive Mm. my gosh could he immediately get into the backfield and that's fantastic sometimes though his first two steps would take him out of the play. He'd basically block himself. Now, was Taven Bryan someone I uh, thought highly of? For sure, because of his um, natural foundation for athleticism. Um, Do I think that NFL coaches should be good at their jobs and be able to work with a player like that? Yes, absolutely. Um, But if a player already has that combination coming out, i.e. an Aaron Donald, Hmm, look what can happen right. to Aaron Donald becoming the best defensive player in the NFL. Also, a refusal to be blocked. Yes. There's a lot of times when a player might be explosive, and then as soon as an offensive lineman lays a hand on him or stops that momentum, uh, it's over. 
it's done, and you don't really have to watch the player for the rest of the play, honestly, because they're staying in, play, in, there, in there's place. There's nothing that turns me off of a de- like an edge player more than when he's blocked by a tight end on the backside of a run play. Got like, it. Like when a guy gets stuck one-on-one against a tight end, yeah. I, I do you, literally – Do you know like, what it is for me is, oh, man, it just he looks like – just has a beautiful body. Yep. Okay. Yep. And then, oh, that first step. Oh, that's great. Yep. And then locks up with an offensive tackle. And rather than trying to go forward, he's standing, like chopping his feet, mm. moving his hands and flailing all around yep. and not going anywhere. Mm. Right. The goal isn't to get to the offensive tackle. It's to get through the offensive tackle. Yep. And that goes throughout all uh, defensive linemen and pass rushers. I also think that now if you're just looking at someone's anchor, um, who was the – how I talked way too much about him too, that Alabama defensive tackle that was awesome like five years ago that was drafted by the Colts, I believe, that was just a great uh, run defender. Josh Chapman. Josh Chapman. Sure. Um, he taught me a lot. Josh <laughs> Chapman was great at what he did. Yes, he was. But you don't draft players just to do what Josh Chapman does, which is stick in the zero gap. One gap, three gap, yep, and not move. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you need you need people to get up the field, right? And that's what gets drafted above round five, <laughs> right? Yeah, and that's what's it's but to me like looking at the value of players that are like that, you know. And we had this conversation with Vita Vea, I think, on, on your podcast yes. uh, last year when we did that that draft room podcast. Danny which, uh, Shelton, yeah, Danny Shelton the year before. Year before, a couple years, years before yeah. that, or whatever, they all blend together. But yeah, I mean, that's when you're talking about the value of players where that is their strength, that is their best thing that they do. Yeah, they might be able to, you know, Vita Vea offered some pass rush juice. He had the ability to collapse the pocket at times. But the best thing that he did was that. I think you start talking about, all right, well, what's the value of that? Does that warrant a guy going in the top 15? Of the if, draft? if the first thing you talk about with a defensive lineman is his run defense and anchor at the line of scrimmage, yeah. That's not where I want to start with that yeah. conversation. Like I love, I love a guy. Like a guy needs to be able to do it. Like you want a guy to right. be you able to do it. You don't want a zero in the running exactly. game. You don't want a liability in the running game. Yes. Um, but you also want someone that can disrupt. Yep. Disruption is production, right? That's, that's where your, the production that's your line. comes from. That's your line. So I think really the big thing is, uh, you know, looking for those guys that you know that have that juice, that have that ability to impact the game from an athleticism standpoint. Um, the lack of a motor up front also, yeah, hmm. that, that gets to me as let, well. Let me ask you this, Fran. Um, we have seen, I mean, at least 50, 50% of defensive linemen and edge prospects over the years okay. get knocked for their motor. Yep. Um, at some point, is that just a negative that can be brought up for 50%? And is it to the point where, to me, possibly – when your motor, when your quality of game absolutely impacts your paycheck, uh, that motor uh, goes to a different level once you reach the NFL. Yep. I think there were the, the uh, few big things, a few points on that. One, there was a story that I'd heard from Wade Phillips about um, about Mean Joe Green. His father, when he uh, scouted Mean Joe Green coming out of North Texas, that he didn't chase plays from the backside and he wasn't playing sideline to sideline. And the talk was, well, at North Texas, they didn't, they didn't coach that. They weren't asking those guys to do it. And so, therefore, when he went to the NFL and he was asked to do that, and he did it at a high level, and, you know, and we know Mean Joe Green, 
Then there's also the impact of guys, and I know this was the deal with Kawan Short at Purdue. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, that was a big yeah, one for me. Huge thing. Uh, Chris Jones at Mississippi that State. That was another big one. Um, you know, and there are guys in this class. You know, I think of a guy like Rennell Wren, Arizona State, who actually reminds me a lot of Chris Jones. I know mm -hmm. you've watched Rennell Wren as well. Um, you know, I think when you talk about those guys and say, all right, well, in college, they're playing 85 snaps a game. In the NFL, they might play 50. They might play right. 40. Now you're saying, okay, maybe that, that mo they're not going to be asked to play as many snaps, and therefore you're hoping that that fatigue, now they're, they're able to go all out. So I think then, for me, the, the motor question then becomes, what is the guy like away from the field? Is he, does he Correct. have that kind and, of – and, and that's part of the process that, like, we don't, yep. I don't even invest anything in, really, mm -hmm. because, to me, how can I meet 30 players at the Senior Bowl, um, you know, learn information on another 50 – compare that 80 to the other 280 that are in this class, of course. 580 that yep. are in this class. To me, that's unfair. Yep. Now, do I am, am I sitting here saying like, oh, that absolutely doesn't happen? No. Maybe subconsciously it does mm. because I'm a human being and I have my biases. Um, but yeah, I, I, I do think from a team perspective, knowing what a player, what makes them tick, um, what kind of work ethic they have, if you're able to take that out of them, yeah, then that definitely applies as well. All right, so take us inside the life of, of Josh Norris now, Josh J. Norris, through the next uh, couple of months here. We're, we're halfway through practice at the Shrine game where the, in terms of the week of practice. We've got Mobile next week, and then we're getting ready for combine prep. What is yep. this? Pro what does the rest of your process look like? So around Christmas, I start just cramming these prospects. Um, I am not one of the people that can go to these all-star games without like a foundation of evaluation on these players. Um, that's just not how I can look at football. Can like, I interrupt you real quick? Yes. Can I say that your different, the, your change that you've made in your personal process has been both good and bad because for me, you know, for me personally, from a selfish standpoint, from a bad standpoint, I miss having the discussions with you in like September, October, yeah. November. The good standpoint is I like having my evaluations done and then asking, okay, what did you think of this guy? So then I can completely nitpick everything Look, that you said. I am super happy I don't have to do evaluations in September and October anymore right. because I'm not locked into them now. Because sure. I always felt like I was kind of locked into them yeah. on some level. Yep. Um, yeah, so I, I need to watch all these players. Now, sometimes that can be 60 plays. Sometimes that can be 20 plays. Sometimes that can be three games. Um, senior Bowl is – more than 20 games yeah uh shrine it's about i mean excuse me 20, 20 plays, plays. Yep. uh shrine it can be about 20 plays i just need a feel for what they do well if i don't see anything that they do well then it's time to move on Fran, you can take a note i will that. that's why I, I told you yesterday we were on the sideline and we're watching practice and we we're having a, a discussion very similar to this one and i told josh i said the thing that i need to learn to do better is I need to learn when it's okay to just give up on a guy that he hasn't shown anything in 30 plays or 40 plays and say, you know what, he's probably not going to show me anything. And right. I, there are people that I'll watch film with that will say the same thing. Like, why are you still watching this guy if you know he can't play? It's like, I just, I just got to make sure. You're just uh, Look, Fran, I've been told I'm too nice of a person way too much in my life, <laughs> but I know that I just don't have time for it right, right. now. Yep. <laughs> um, so, yeah, even now during Shrine practices, we have about two hours in between practices, and I go back and – now I'm watching Senior Bowl guys, and I'll do that up until next week. Yep. Um, then after the Senior Bowl is over, um, I will start going through all the underclassmen. Um, there's a bunch of them. That's like so many. 120 plus of them. So many. And that will happen up until the combine. Yep. Then the combine happens, and I am thrilled, thrilled to get an athletic profile on these players. 
Um, Fran, if it, if it was a perfect world, I would not divulge rankings or anything until we have athletic profiles and players. Yeah. Um, maybe some might believe that I am investing too much in an athletic profile of a player. And I'm not sitting here saying, well, this percent is this part of a player's of evaluation. Yep. It's just fluid. It's all part of it. And I think it matters more, and it's been proven to matter more for certain positions than it does for others. Yeah, both in, in effectiveness in the NFL and in draft slot. Exactly. Yeah. Precisely. Running back probably doesn't matter as much. Yep. But then what I love, what maybe I most love, and Fran knows this, is as the pro days go along, we get the athletic profiles of like the 90-plus percent players yep. at each position. Some guys you've never heard of, and I've never heard of, even if you've watched 500 players yep. in this class. And also I monitor where uh, prospects are visiting, either on official team visits or working out on private workouts with teams. Yep. And there will be, there'll be names that, you know, teams three, five, seven – we'll look at the same prospect. And mm. it's a guy, again, we've never heard of. Maybe it was at like a, even a lower tier bowl game or he declared and no one has talked about him or yep. so on and so forth. And then I look at those players as well. Um, I, I try to, I'm one person. I know that. So I try to take as much information from other people's work in the league. Yep. Right? Right. If sure. they're interested in a player. And, and that's obvious interest. They're not just going to waste their time yeah. with the position coach, with the GM, with a director of college scouting, whoever, just to look at this guy because they're doing a favor for someone else. Yep. No, that's that's like the time when they're trying to set their board. Yeah. They're trying to figure out, especially in those day three areas with those position coaches, which fall in love with day three guys, they're, they're looking for their guy. If I remember right, DeMonte Casey, uh, the year he came out, so this was a couple of years ago, at his pro day, uh, Quinn, Dimitrov, and Pioli were all there. And I'm like... All right, well, that's – I mean, that, that tells you something when you have all three of those guys at a San Diego State Pro Day. I, I loved him going into – was it San Diego State or San Jose? It was San Diego San State. San Diego State, right. yep. Yeah, I loved him going in the Senior Bowl. Yeah, um, and I did not. Really? I was not, I was not high was on him. He was a missile. Okay, yeah. they played Tyler Irvin in San Jose State, okay. and I think it was a year before that. Okay, yep, um, that sounds right. And he – was playing corner there because they moved to safety with Atlanta right. and would just go up and annihilate everyone, and he's still doing that. He's still NFL. doing it now. I even asked him. He was one of the guys I interviewed at the Senior Bowl. Yeah. Um, no, guys that pop out during that process, it's like a Grover Stewart. Sure. It's from great Albany one. State. Yep. Um, it's like a Rodney Gunter. Yes, Delaware. Yeah. Or Delaware State. I think Delaware State. Delaware, yeah, Delaware State. Um, and then goes and gets drafted fairly early yeah. with the Arizona Cardinals. Sure. To me, that's the time period when – teams recognize players that are probably round three or round four in their board that they really want to prioritize and then they make it a point to go and get them if, if they um, get uh, really enthusiastic about them but then also they're the ones like I mentioned that tested great that I haven't looked at at all the example I keep coming back to is Nick Easton it's a good one yep um, right. yep this guy who I don't think was at an all-star game at all yep. came out of Harvard tests in like the 96th percentile and it's just like holy cow time to go watch Nick Easton (laughs) and I will say there's about 10 at like every position that do this and I might only get five in total from the entire class that I ended up liking Um, Mike Boone Mm. another example Minnesota Vikings running back undrafted free agent out of Cincinnati makes the roster at a training camp Um, is it Andrew Wiley 
who yeah from the, the, the Chiefs and became the starter. He was another one. Yeah, that's um, right. Matt Breida. Yeah, and I didn't get to Breida. Yeah. That was one of my biggest regrets because of all the buzz he got in that summer. Like I could reel off name after name after name yep. of even if they didn't end up getting drafted in a year or two after some development have hit and should have been drafted. Yeah. And a lot of it goes back to these athletic profiles. And, again, the reason I'm, I'm bringing that up is because that's them doing the work for me. Right. You know? Sure. Then I go back and it – and and in some ways, in that little aspect, it's putting caps on their athleticism. You know, it's diminishing the amount of players I have to look at. If – and I'm – this is a complete hypothetical and would never happen. If a team only wants to draft players in the 80th percentile and higher, they're only looking at about 20 to 30 players per draft class right. at each yep. position. Sure. So, you know, on paper, that would improve your evaluations at each position and overall, and then you hopefully have a better hit rate. That's all I'm doing in those later months and later weeks. Right, well, Josh, we're going to let you get back into the next part of your process. Appreciate the time here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. We will uh, be consuming your content throughout the next couple of months, and we'll talk to you soon. Great stuff from Josh, and you can follow him just like I do on Twitter, at Josh Norris. And while you're at it, I'm at FDuffy3. That's where I post all the podcasts I'm a part of and all of our X's and O's content that we produce at PhiladelphiaEagles.com. And you know I greatly appreciate everybody that promotes this podcast on all forms of social media. That is one way to support the show, but the other is to go on to Apple Podcasts or Stitcher and give us a rating or even leave us a comment. I wanted to give a shout-out to two people this week who went on to our Apple podcast page. First up, SFRAT25, who commented saying how much they enjoyed the show as a student of the game. And then I also wanted to give a shout-out to CLT Birdman, who left a five-star review and a question about the offensive line. And I'm summarizing here, but the question from Birdman is concerning the old line with guys like Peters and Kelsey getting up there in age and with Brandon Brooks' injury, what should the Eagles do about the offensive line this offseason? Really, I think you look at it and say, all right, well, Stefan Wisniewski is an upcoming free agent, Chance Warmack, an upcoming free agent. Who are the young offensive linemen on the roster? Obviously, you feel good about Lane Johnson and where you're at there. Isaac Sayamalu proved to be a starting quality offensive lineman this year, whether that's at guard or center in the future. doesn't matter. You feel like he's going to have a place here in the starting five. What is Big V? What is Jordan Mailata? What is Matt Pryor? Those are two, three guys that have been added over the course of the last couple of years. How do they figure into the future plans? I think that that's something that will get answered here this year. And then it's a matter of, all right, how do you try and supplement that talent? You've got a pretty good offensive line crop in this NFL draft. Will the Eagles try to decide to, to upgrade that unit in the first round, second round, third round? It's going to be very, very interesting to see what they decide to do. It is a pretty good offensive line group this year, though. So we'll see. We've got a few weeks here to kind of see how free agency will pan out. Obviously, with the combine coming up, we'll start to see some of these offensive linemen work out and things like that. But it is a pretty good group of offensive linemen in this draft. I think there'll be options every day, whether it's day one, day two, day three. There are starting quality linemen up and down this NFL draft. So thank you, Birdman. We appreciate the question. Thank you again for listening each week. And thank you to all of you out there for your continued support of this show and all the rest of our podcast offerings on PhiladelphiaEagles.com. All right, real quick, just want to give my thoughts on the Super Bowl. Obviously, uh, at times, a tough game to watch between the Rams and the Patriots. But honestly, this went about as I would have expected. I didn't expect the Rams to only score three points, but I thought – Bill Belichick having an extra week of preparation 
getting ready for Sean McVay and Jared Goff in that play-action pass game, I, th- I figured that they would have answers for what they try and do. And there's been a lot written. I don't need to go through all the little nitty-gritty details. There's been a lot written about what Belichick did in terms of allowing his defense to go onto the field with two plays called. One for, uh, you know, w- before the, the, the communication cut out between Goff and McVay, and then one for afterwards. They were able to change some things up, show them one thing, then come back and show them something else. I thought that that was a really interesting way to approach it. Not sure if they're the first ones to do it, but something that certainly they executed at a very, very high level on Super Bowl Sunday. As far as the Rams, you got to give a lot of credit to that defense. I thought that they came out and they played at a very high level. They do need a little bit more teeth to that pass rush off the edge. I think that will be something they'll look to address here in the coming months. But overall, I think when you look at that Rams team, the question is going to be, Number one, what happened with Todd Gurley? Can they be able to? Will they be able to run the ball at a high level? Because honestly, that pass game relies on the run game and that offense. They need the run game to get going. And if that's something, if you looked at what the Chicago Bears did to that offense early in the season, you look at what the, honestly what the Philadelphia Eagles did to them in midseason. It really comes down to stopping the run. If you can stop Todd Gurley, C.J. Anderson, that run game, make them one-dimensional. I think it's really tough sledding for Jared Goff in those kinds of situations. So that's something that certainly is going to be interesting to watch is can they get that run game going in 2019? If not, how can they continue to surround Jared Goff? How can they continue to kind of beef up that supporting cast? That offensive line is is another year older now. It's going to be very interesting to see how this offseason goes for that group. But, uh, look, it it was a a game that obviously uh, it wasn't the most entertaining in all all respects, but – uh, look, a, a much-deserved championship for Bill Belichick, Tom Brady, and the rest of that Patriots team. So uh, great stuff this week from Josh Norris. And all of you out there listening, whether you're on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or TuneIn or Spotify, Google Play, of course, on PhiladelphiaEagles.com and the Eagles mobile app. Thank you. And again, one more time, take a few seconds, go rate the show, leave us a comment. Don't be afraid to leave it a question on there as well because you never know. We might just take your question and turn it into an entire show topic. It's that time of year. So if you've got a burning question, something that whether it's Eagles related, pure football, X's and O's related, anything that you want answered, go on, leave us a question there on one of our podcast platforms, and we will get it here on the show. So all that being said, I think that'll do it. Another show in the books here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast fueled by Gatorade. For everybody here at the Novacare Complex, I'm Fran Duffy. We will talk to you next week.